0: Matthew chapter 5 we're going to be looking at verse 17 through 20 this morning and I want to be honest with you there is a ton of stuff in in these you know 3 to 4 verses of scripture a ton of stuff so much stuff that there's not there's absolutely no way we can cover it all this morning so we're going to cover the two biggest themes that we find here and we'll get to those in a second but let's lead the, uh, read this passage together this morning uh, Matthew 5 starting in verse 17 it says "...do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished." Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whew! It's a heavy passage. There's a lot to cover. But there's really two main sections and, and, and those two main sections really raise up two questions in the life of believers. And those are the questions I really want to answer for you this morning, because I feel like I, I get the questions a lot. And so, so let's just begin with the first question that this passage causes in believers is simply this. Uh, what is Christ's relationship to the Old Testament? What is Christ's relationship to the Old Testament? He, he says, listen, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. Now, why is Jesus saying that? Well, Jesus is saying that because that is the claim against him. Uh, he steps into this very religious environment with all these scribes and their Pharisees and all of their laws and all of their commands. And, and he basically uh, teaches the things of God, but he doesn't live to their standards. You say, Jesus, the Son of God, isn't living to the standards of the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, no, there's a whole bunch of stuff that they do that he seems to patently just ignore. And, and, and you say, well, what, what is what is that about? Well, well Jesus... Is, is, is teaching what real true righteousness is. And so the, the scribes and the Pharisees looked at him and they said, this guy's come to destroy the law of Moses. He, he's come to do away with it. And, and so Jesus addresses that question right here, right now, before he goes on and fixes all that they've broken. He begins by just addressing who he really is and how he really relates to the Old Testament. And so let's just jump in uh, this morning uh, about what this passage says about Christ and his relationship to the Old Testament. We'll begin by talking about what, what it's not, alright? Um, when, when we read this passage, and Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, there's two groups of people there. Now, the first group is, is the group of people that think that Jesus just came to end the law and to usher in grace. That's what they think. And and clearly, as you read this passage, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, I came to abolish the law and to usher in grace. That's not what he's saying, right? And there's a group of people in our world today that believe that Christ's purpose is simply to do away with everything in the Old Testament. And this is how they phrase it. Maybe you've been one of those people in the past, and I'm not trying to step on your toes, but if you've ever said this, you may want to take a look at yourself, okay? These people say something along these lines. The law was given by Moses... Grace and truth by Jesus Christ. That's how they view it. Okay, now what that does is that creates a huge division between Old Testament and New Testament living. And the implication, of course, is that because we live under a covenant of grace, we must never even really talk or study the Old Testament. It doesn't matter. And yet here, we hear the words of Christ, and he says clearly... I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest letter nor the stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. Right? Well, what does that mean? That stroke of the pen, it, it, it's, a, it's a word for seraph. For, it's the smallest stroke you can make in a pen, right? A seraph is the difference between an L being an R. It's the difference between an R being a P. Jesus said, listen, I, I, didn't, I didn't come to change the law at all. I, I, I didn't come to, to, to make an L look like an R and make an R look like a P. That's not what I've come for. I haven't come to, to do away with the law. That's not it. And then he's actually going to go on. He's going to say, listen, I, I've come to make it full. And then guess what he's going to do next week? He's going to start making it full. He's going to actually raise the bar in the Old Testament. So clearly, this passage cannot mean that Jesus just came to do away with all of the law. That That can't be what it means, all right? Now, here's the second thing this passage can't mean. Here's the other group of people. This passage also cannot mean that Jesus came to simply extend the law as it was being taught. See, there's a whole other camp when you've got the grace camp, and then you've got the law camp, right? And, and And the people in the law camp say, well, Jesus, all he was doing and all he's about to do, he's just going to reinterpret Old Testament law. So really, Jesus is just about the law. That's what he's about. Therefore, you have to earn your way, you follow me? Therefore, you must keep it perfectly, therefore, and, and they even go as far to say it was, it was Paul that introduced this grace business, right? Jesus was Jewish and he was about the law. Now, clearly, that's, that's not right either. Uh, that 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 that's not right at all. And, and and the problem with that, my my biggest problem with that, Jesus is about to denounce uh, the authority of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's about to just lay it on them and say, no, you're wrong. You're not you're not you're not teaching accurately. Uh, clearly, Jesus didn't do everything that they said should be done. So so how do we how do we figure that out? So who who is Jesus really? How does he relate to this Old Testament? Because clearly, it's not just all about grace, right? But, but, but also, it's, it's not all about law. So, so what is his relationship? What is Jesus saying about his relationship with the Old Testament? Well, here's what he's saying, okay? Three things. Number one, Jesus is saying that all of the Old Testament points to him. That's what he's saying. This passage says all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. All of it. Look at what Paul says with me here for a second. This is Galatians 3.24. He says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now, that word guardian in, in the uh, King James, I think it's it translated schoolmaster. Uh, but it, it literally in the Greek, it means guardian or guide. And, and it talks about, you know, Greek families that had a little bit of money. They would actually pay somebody to be a guide for their child. And that, that God, not a nanny, but a guide, a guide in life, showing them the things that were right and the things that were wrong. Are you following me? And, and so, so listen, this, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the point of the law was to be our, our guide, and that word until, it, it means into or toward. That's, that's how it literally translates, toward. Okay, so, so together, it, it's, it's the law was meant to guide us toward Christ. That's the point of the law. And why? why, why, how, how does the law guide us toward Christ? How does that, how does that work? Well, the answer is pretty basic because nobody can keep it, right? Because when you read the law and you start trying to live out the law, very, very quickly do you recognize you can't do it and you need a savior, And so the whole point of the law was to show the people of God that they couldn't do it and they needed a savior. And and, and that's why the Old Testament is full of prophecies about the who? The Messiah, the savior. It's God's plan from the Old Testament to the new that people would look to Jesus Christ as savior. That's the point of it. That's the, the purpose of the law. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Now, that's just that's just the law. What about the prophets? Because he says the law and the prophets. Well, that's the other portion, right? And of course, the Bible is full of great prophets. You've got all the major prophets and the minor prophets. And then, you know, you've got Moses and you've got all the people that, that, that aren't in the book of the prophets, but they're in the historical books, but they were clearly prophets. And, and and what do you what do you do with all these people? What was the point of it? Well, guys, guess what? All that pointed to Jesus, too. And and Wednesday night, um, uh, we you know, we have prayer and, and Bible study on Wednesday night, those that... Don't come. You should come every once in a while. Um, so Wednesday night, and we kind of have a small little group, and we've got a lot of people that are serving Kingdom Kids Youth Ministry and, uh, and choir and, and pray. All that stuff goes on. And so, uh, so my crowd has shrunk a little bit, but I'm okay with that. Um, they're very faithful. And um, one of the things we did Wednesday night is, is we went through the book of Matthew. And you know, just in the book of Matthew, the book that we're studying, uh, Matthew quotes 19 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfills. Nineteen. And the point of what I shared with with the group is, listen, it's crazy because you have to understand it, because a lot of those prophecies were originally fulfilled by somebody else. But Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment. Let me let me show you Hosea 11, one uh, Hosea 11, 1. It says out of Egypt, I called my son. That's God speaking now that prophecy was originally fulfilled by Moses Right? It originally applied to Moses that God called Moses out of Egypt. He called Israel out of Egypt. He delivered them. It was originally fulfilled by Moses. But guess what? Matthew tells us early on in his gospel that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. How? Do you remember Herod? What happened? What did Mary and Joseph and Jesus do? They had to flee to Egypt. And Matthew sees it. He sees that everything in the Bible, all of the Old Testament, the law, The prophets, the feasts, the festivals, everything points to Jesus. That's the right relationship. That's what this passage is teaching us. Number two, number two, this passage is teaching us this morning that Jesus reveals the full depth of meaning that the Old Testament was meant to hold. He reveals the full depth of meaning that the Old Testament is meant to hold. And we'll talk about this in a second, but we said it a few weeks ago. Remember, the purpose of the, the, the Bible is transformation of the heart. It's always about the heart. And, and, and what these people have done, guys, is they've really made the, the law of God not about the heart anymore. They've made it so you didn't have to think, you didn't have to face temptation. Well, if, I'm, if I live rigidly like this, then, well, guess what? That's not a heart response anymore, is it? I don't know about you guys as parents, but I want my children to obey me from their heart. I don't want just, just masked over obedience. I want to understand that they know the difference between right and wrong. If all they do is do what I say, the moment they leave my house, they'll never understand why I asked them to do what I said. You follow me? they'll never be able to make the right choice. And, and and so so Jesus comes and he comes to correct it. Now how did he do that? Well, I'll give you an example, right? You have kids. I, I I tell they're not here this morning, so I'll use names. Um, you know, uh occasionally I'm I'm like, "Listen." Somebody comes in crying. Cole, why'd you hit your brother? Well, cuz he made me mad. Look at me. Do not hit your brother. 5 minutes later, what happened? What happened? You go running in there. What happened? Look, And Cole's over in the corner. What did you do? Did you hit your brother? No, I didn't hit him. His brother's crying. He can't even talk to me. What did you do? I didn't hit him. I kicked him. You said don't hit your brother. Right? You didn't say anything about kicking him. Okay? Now follow, maybe maybe your kids have done the same thing. Now what what are they doing? They're doing the same thing that the Jews did. Listen to me. They're they're stripping the depth of meaning away from the commandments of God. Jesus came to correct that. He came to say, no, 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 no. This isn't about loopholes. Here's here's what God meant when God said you shouldn't murder. This is is the heart behind it. He came to correct that. And that's what we're going to see as we begin to study these passages number three and this is this is a huge one this this passage teaches us that jesus came to cancel the claims that the law uh, had against us okay jesus came to cancel the claims of the law against all who would believe now what claim did the law have you know it? it was death right all who who sin die that's it and, and and so so the claims of the law were, were, were death, and 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 of course I mean literally in the, in the in God's laws you could say there were certain things you could be killed for immediately, right? That was the claim of the law. Now the only way that you could get out of that claim was was if an innocent victim died in your place. That was it. That was God's law. Forgiveness demanded sacrifice. Forgiveness demanded death. Forgiveness demanded blood. It just did. That was God's way. It is God's way. So, so what does this teach us about Jesus? This teaches us that Jesus came to fix that. That Jesus came to cancel that. The law claimed death, but Jesus paid that claim in full. That's what this means when it says he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the claims of the law against us forever. Forever. And that's ultimately what this passage teaches us about Christ and His relationship to the Old Testament. Okay, those three things—that's a big deal. Those are big, big deals. Okay, this is this is this is pretty heady and deep theology. Okay, but it's important. Now, that that brings us to the second question that arises as we study this passage—the second major one—and it's this: What is Christ's standard for righteousness? When you read this passage, you you can't get past verse 20 where he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't, you can't avoid that. You can't look the other direction. Jesus says it clearly. He says, you're not going to heaven unless your righteousness is better than these people. And, and let's face it, people thought those were pretty righteous folks. So what on earth is Jesus' standard for righteousness? I promise you, when Jesus said that, the, the, the crowd audibly gasped. The, the people that were there, they, they thought so highly of the scribes and the Pharisees that when Jesus said this, they were like, oh, then how can anybody be saved? He, of course, he's about to explain it. But to understand what, what Jesus is talking about, to understand Christ's level of righteousness, we've got to understand what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing first. So let's look at that quickly, alright? Number one, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, were, were trying to make the law manageable. That's what they did. They, they, they made the law manageable. And you say, how do you did that? Well, how do you do that? Well, here, here's, here's basically how it works. They made the law's demands less demanding. And, and, and they made the law's permissions more permissible. Get this, they made the law's demands less demanding and the law's permissions more permissible. And if you want an example, let's, let's, let's talk about murder for a second. Okay? How do you make the law's demands on murder less demanding? Well, you make it just about the actual act of murder. Now, if you hate somebody and you, and you hit them out of rage and you're trying to kill them, but they're not dead, guess what, you didn't commit murder. You following me? And so they, they, would, they would define it by the strictest sense. Adultery? Right? Oh, no, no, no. Listen, listen, you may have been in that bar and you may have, have, have been with that woman and you might have even kissed on her, but I'm telling you right now that unless you were caught in bed with her in the middle of the act, and, and they, they would actually even say that. But if, if there was no proof, if nobody saw, how is that adultery? Oh. Do you see it? you see it it's a totally different standard okay same thing with divorce well, divorce was about permission so so they extended the permissions there amongst themselves and basically where divorce used to you know had to be infidelity now it was more of well hey you can get a divorce if she looks at you wrong if she doesn't age well serious Serious? That, that, that's that's what they done. They they were making the law manageable. They were making it something that that could be easily attained. That that's that's the scary thing. Okay, number two. They were regarding oral tradition as equal authority to scripture. Whoo! Okay, there should be a red light flashing right now. They're making oral tradition as equal authority to scripture. This is the number one sign that you're part of a cult. Ready? Right here. If you take oral tradition and you add it to Scripture, if you don't believe that the canon of Scripture is closed, if if you think that there are still people out there that are hearing direct revelations from God and whatever they say is equal to what God says, you are in trouble and that person is about to lead you down a wrong path. And, and, and you could look at people like David Koresh. You could look at, at, at other um, cults that people are trying to label them as Christian. They are not. okay. I don't care if it's the watchtower that says we are the ultimate authority and whatever we say is equal to Scripture. I don't, I don't care if it's whoever is the head of the Mormon church that says whatever I say is equal to Scripture. I don't care if it is the Pope. And he says, whatever I say is equal to Scripture. Nothing is equal to Scripture. Nothing, alright? I love you, okay? I've told you before, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy, right? I'm not the sharpest tool in, in, in the shed. That's, that's not me. I read a lot uh, of really smart guys, but, but hear me now. Apart from the Word of God, you know, my, my wife like to say, I like to joke around a little bit outside of church, a little bit, just a little bit. And, and so I'll, I'll say things, especially with kids, I'll say things to kids that just to, to freak them out. And so I said something to a child one time, and my wife says, and I quote, Oh, honey, don't listen to Pastor Jason unless he's in the pulpit. <laughs> what? Wow. Goodness gracious. It's <laughs> just wrong. You can't do that. You can't you can't take oral tradition and count that as scripture. You just can't do it. It's dangerous. Number three, here's what they did: they they built a fence around the Torah. And I want to explain that. Okay, um, basically the Torah, the law, laws of God. Okay, they 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 took the actual law of God, they took the Pentateuch, they took what God had said, and 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 explain. It's kind of this way. Okay, we live on a busy street, lots of cars flying down Avenue C. My kids play in the front yard all the time. I've actually told my wife, hey, what do you think about putting up a fence? To, to you know, Because they're constantly, a ball's going out in the street or something. And they're pretty good about it because I've told them, if you step in the street, you'll die. Okay? I love you. You step in the street without me, you're going to die. And they're like, what? I'm serious. Those cars, they're blowing around that corner 40 miles an hour, even though that's not the speed limit, people. It's not the speed limit. All right? Uh, it, just, it, it just it just happens. And so, so so imagine we put up a fence. Now, we put up a fence... Okay, and, and, and here's the deal, you can't go past the fence. Then my children have absolute freedom within that fence, don't they? They can play, they can kick the ball, they can throw the football, and they're safe. Now that's what the Torah is, that was the, the point of the law. God said, listen, if you stay within this parameter, you are safe. But here's what they did, they came and said, wait a second, that, that fence there is not very high and And see this fence that God has given us. I can still see the things on the other side of the fence and 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 i 'm tempted sometimes and, and and I want to crawl over and but but so maybe we should put up a new fence, and so they they stepped inside of of that. And they, they built a higher fence. And they said, well, we won't do any of this stuff either. And, and now, since we can't do this stuff, we can't even see the other fence. We don't even know that a street is there. And then all of a sudden, they, they could hear the cars still going by and the horns beeping. And the tires roaring. They say, wait a second, we need a bigger fence. And let's soundproof this fence. And we're going to step inside. And now we build a huge fence with, with a roof on it. Now the sun doesn't even come in, right? We can't hear anything now. And we're going to live in this little tiny box. That way, we're never tempted to do anything wrong. Now, here's the problem with a tiny box. Number one, you have no freedom. Zero. But the bigger problem is that it's possible to live in the tiny box and to never have to think about God. It is possible to live in the tiny box and to continue to do things, but to never actually have to obey God with your heart. the, The purpose of God's law is not that you would just do things. The purpose of God's law is that you would love Him. That's the purpose. That you would love Him and that you would obey Him out of love. That you could still see the street. And that you could still experience complete freedom within that. But that you would lovingly choose not to cross over. That's love. It's a choice. And they had eliminated that. You see, they had taken the standard of God. And they had made it substandard where it didn't require any heart obedience on your part. Okay? Now, to that, Jesus says, enough. To that, Jesus says, no. To that, Jesus says, let me fix your wrong thinking. And and he he goes on to do that. So, what is Christ's level of righteousness? Just four things and we'll be done. I'm going to go super quick, okay? I'm going to give you scripture references and let you go look them up. For time's sake, here we go. Number one, Christ's standard. Jesus focused on the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. Jesus focused on the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. That might speak to some of you people if you're a letter of the law kind of person. Letter of the law kind of people drive me nuts because they are the people that are always looking for loopholes. So when people get mad, well, well, Pastor, you're always about the spirit of the law. I'm about the spirit of the law because I believe that's how all law should be interpreted. Because that's how Jesus interpreted it. You have to see the heart behind the law. You have to understand the purpose. If you just rigidly say this and this and this and this, I mean, it's ridiculous where you could end up. And by the way, um, our court systems sometimes head that way. They just Well, this is what the law says when they, they totally forsake the reason that that law was written, okay? We have a tendency to do that, a natural tendency. So Jesus came and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Here's the intent. It should always be about the intent of the law, okay? Number two, Jesus' righteousness. Jesus focused on internal matters rather than external matters. On internal matters rather than external matters. In Luke chapter eleven, uh, verse thirty nine through forty, Jesus goes to eat at a Pharisee's home and he doesn't wash. He doesn't ceremonially wash his hands like the Pharisee did. The Pharisee was all clean, Jesus just sat down to eat. And the Pharisee was so upset. He's like, why don't, why don't you do this? Why don't you do and Jesus says, he basically goes off on the Pharisee? He says, Woe to you, Pharisees! Who, you, you clean the outside of the dish, but the inside of the dish is rotten and nasty. Don't you need to do both? <laughs> Don't you first need to worry about the inside of the dish that you're about to eat out of? He says, listen, that, that's what's wrong with you. You're always worried about all this outward stuff. God is always worried about the inside of you. So Jesus' focus was always on the internal rather than the external. That's his righteousness. Number three. Jesus focused on the important matters of the law rather than the minor points of the law. Same passage, Luke 11, just a little further in, in verse 42. Jesus tells these same people, he says, "Listen, woe to you, for you tie all. Uh, you you tie the tenth of all of your spices, your dill and your mint and your cumin and all the other spices. You tie the dill of, of even your the the, the, the the herbs out of your garden." But yet you've forgotten the greater things like justice and mercy and faith. Those of you that like Bible trivia and think of yourselves as Bible scholars, you need to hear me very clearly this morning. Jesus focused on the important stuff. And he didn't teach about the rest. We get so caught up, and well, what about tattoos, Pastor? And what about piercings? And what about? Did Jesus preach on it? Did he? No, he didn't, right? Well, what about what about church government? And and what about the color of the carpet? And what about the walls and the paint samples? And what what about? Did Jesus teach on it? He Didn't. He always focused on the thing that's important. That's what we've got to do too. That's our calling. Number four. This is a big one. Jesus focused on manifesting character, not merely keeping commands. Jesus focused on manifesting character, not merely keeping commands. It's a big, big deal. Again, this is my desire for my children. I do not want my children to simply obey me because they are afraid of me. I want my children to obey me because they understand the heart of, of what I'm saying. And, and guys, that means for me as a parent that sometimes I actually have to stop instead of saying, go clean your room. I have to stop and say, listen, it's important for you to be able to have a, a picked up room so that you can have friends over, so that you can live. If you never clean your room, there's going to be bugs and germs and you can get sick. And if you're sick, we can't enjoy life together, right? And God's got great plans for us, and, and, and we need to be able to get out of the house. But to do that, we've got to maintain. And you know, it's imp- So they've got to hear my heart, okay? Jesus is worried about our character. That's, that's his focus. That's, that's his, his standard of righteousness. And what I would just say to you guys is, it, it, it's radically different from what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. It's, ra- it's night and day. It's a whole new kind of righteousness, one that affects the heart. It's all about the inside. It's all about the inside. Theirs was all external, okay? So what do we do with a message like that? And, and how do we walk away here from, from church feeling like God has spoken to us and, and asked us to do something? Um, last things and we're done. I know there's a lot of notes today. I'm sorry. I, I told you, I already trimmed a whole lot out. There's stuff in there about rewards in heaven. and I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff in this passage I couldn't even get to. So here we go. Four things you can do. Number one, really important. Interpret Scripture through the life and ministry of Jesus. Interpret Scripture through the life and ministry of Jesus. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. What should I do about it? Well, go, go to the ministry of Jesus. Go to the life of Jesus. Go to the teachings of Jesus. Does He address the thing that you're so caught up about that you found? Does He address it? If He doesn't, I would take a really deep breath. Alright? Interpret everything through the life and the ministry of Jesus. It, it all points to Him. It should all point to Him. Is that too simple? If it all points to Him, it should all point to Him, right? You got it? Pretty basic. Okay? Number two. Thank God that the claim of the law has been canceled. When you come to church, when you wake up in the morning to read your Bible, when you're driving around singing songs to Jesus, where where should those things come from? They should come from the depths of your heart that you are grateful for. That Jesus has cancelled the claim that the law held on you, brother. Because you are a sinner and you deserve death. But the innocent victim, the Lord Jesus Christ, stood in your place and received your death for you. That should cause you to be thankful. Amen? That's what this is all about. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's That's what should pour out from this. Number three. I pray that you're challenged through all this to take down your fences. Not God's. Not God's fence. Notice he just has one, not God's fence, but I pray that you would take down your fences. If you are living a life in which you don't ever actually have to think about, God, can I worship you through this decision? Then then I would submit to you that maybe you have built up some fences so that maybe you are being quote-unquote obedient, maybe you are living a righteous life, but is it affecting your heart? If it's not affecting your heart and you're not transforming into the character of Christ, then what are we doing? You follow me? It's always about your heart. It's always, God wants to change you from the inside out. It's always about that. It's always about that. So take down your fences. And number four, we're done. Take up Christ's standard. His standard is one that is higher and holier It is way above and way beyond anything that this world could offer. It's not about something that we can do on our own and by ourselves. It's something that is so far above what we are capable of that we live in a state of absolute need for Jesus. That's His standard. And guys, that's the standard we're called to live by. If we would take up that standard, it would cause us to pray about it as couples. It would cause us to look at our lives and how we spend our money. It, it, it would cause us to think about how we're going to spend our time off for vacation. I mean, it, it's going to cause all of those things in us. That's what it does. It's a big, big deal. All right. Would you guys pray with me this morning?